Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, I am honored to be in dialogue with Chris Webb. We are here to discuss his new book, The Belzet's Death Camp, History, Biographies, Remembrance, published in Stuttgart by Ibedem Verlag, 2022. Chris, I'm blessed to be in dialogue with you today. Thank you. That is a pleasure, Ari. I'm very pleased to be in dialogue with you. Let me give you a bit of background to myself. I've written books on Belzec, Sobibor and Treblinka. I run the Holocaust Historical Society in the UK. And I have visited these camps many times in the past. I'm going to talk to you today about the Belzec death camp. Belzec is very much the forgotten camp of Action Reinhard. And let me just explain what Action Reinhard was. Action Reinhard was the mass murder of Polish Jewry undertaken by the Nazis during the Second World War. It started in Lublin in March 1942 with transports from the Lublin ghetto to Belzec, but it wasn't called Action Reinhard then. It was only named Action Reinhard by Adilo Globocznik, the SS and police leader for Lublin, after the assassination of Reinhard Heydrich in Prague in June 1942. So when it started, it wasn't known as Action Reinhard. Now, there is some confusion about the spelling of Action Reinhard. Some people say it's with a T. Some people say it's without. Well, the recruitment pledge that all new members of Action Reinhard had to sign, the Reinhardt was spelt with a T. When Globochnik was asked by Himmler to provide a balance sheet for Action Reinhardt in 1944, Globochnik and Himmler both referred to Action Reinhardt with a T. There are, however, documents without a T, but I prefer, given that Globochnik and Hoffler, who wrote the recruitment pledge, uh, signed it with Reinhardt with a T 
I've always favoured that. The headquarters of Action Reinhardt was in Lublin, in a place called the Julius Schreck Caserna. That building is still there today. And you can see it's now a medical college. The crucial figure, construction, Himmler was given, gave Dobochnik permission to build Belzich in October 1941 at a meeting in Rastenburg. And construction started in November 1941 by an SS Hubstenfuhrer, Joseph Oberhauser. Some historians claim that Belzech was built by Richard Tamala, who headed the SS Belleiton in Zamosh. That is not true. Tamala was actually involved in another of Globochnik's projects in Russia, and in fact was in uh, uh, Russia during November 1941. So he could not have been involved in Belzich, and I don't believe he was. Um, he, he was involved in Belzich in 1940. He was in charge of the construction of the Otto line, which was the defensive barrier between the general government, e.g. Poland, and the Soviet Union. And he actually lived in Belzich, but he was not, as far as I'm aware, involved in the construction of the Belzich death camp. That the person who had most to do with Belzich was a, was a man called Christian Viet. He was a crucial figure. He was brutal and sadistic, and he developed in Belzech, of which he was the first commandant, the mass murder process. Mainly by trial and error, for example, he used a gas van in Belzech to gas Jews and other undesirables as classed by the Nazis. But the gas van, which was a converted parcel van from Tomaszow Lubelski, uh, was not a success. And Viet very quickly realised that he needed to use something else. And that something else was static gas chambers uh, serviced by Russian tank engines pumping in carbon monoxide poisoning. That's how the gassings in Belzec was carried out. The same process was also applied in both Sobibor, which was built later, and Treblinka, which was the final and biggest of the Action Reinhard camp. Something that was quite unusual for Belzec and not tried at the other two camps is that various local Polish tradesmen built the gas chambers in Belzec and built other structures as well. This was not repeated in Sobibor and this was not repeated in Treblinka, where in both camps the Germans used Jewish prisoners and Ukrainians 
to build the gas chambers. And that's quite a, a, an important point to make. In terms of the camp itself, just bear with me, I will give you a bit of information. Belzec is located in southeastern Poland. It's a small village, about five miles from the village of, uh, from the town of Tomaszkubelski. And it's circa 82 miles from Lublin. It's close to the Ukrainian border. Belzec was the site of a number of labour camps, Kessler's Mill, the locomotive sheds and the gypsy camp. These complex of camps were under the control of Hermann Dolp. Camp conditions were brutal. These camps were closed down in October 1940. Beldech camp was not very large. Three sides measured 275 metres and the south side 265 metres. It was built on a partly forested sandy ridge known as the Kozielek Ridge. Belzech was divided into two camps. Camp 1 included the main entrance, a sturdy wooden gate, the guardhouse, the ramp. It also included an assembly square, undressing and storage barracks. Also in Camp 1 were the Jewish living quarters and the living quarters for the Ukrainians. Between Camp 1 and Camp 2 was the Tube, a barbed wire passageway that ran from the undressing barracks to the gas chambers in Camp 2. Camp, camp 2 included the gas chambers, of which there were three, and two barracks for the worker Jews who serviced the extermination area, as well as mass graves. I will cover the gas chambers separately. The three gas chambers were of primitive design, primarily wooden structures on a concrete foundation, constructed with double wooden plank walls, a space filled with sand. Space in between was filled with sand. The gas chambers each measured six metres by four metres, located in the eastern part of the camp. The capacity was 240 people in each chamber. These were built by Polish craftsmen, as I mentioned earlier, such as Stanislav Kozak. On the northern side, three wooden doors, about 1.8 metres high and by 1.10 metres wide, led to a one metre high ramp. As I've already said, uh, the poisoning was done with carbon monoxide from a Russian engine. Viet realised quite quickly that the above facility was too small. And in June 1942, concrete structure containing six gas chambers this was a low building with a flat roof, okay, with wooden doors and a concrete ramp. It had more capacity to deal with transports from Krakow and Lvov. As I've already said, Viet 
perfected the mass murder process, such as the separation and murder by shooting of children and invalids who would actually slow down the march to the gas chambers. So a very precise and carefully worked out structure. Viet wanted nothing to slow down the mass murder process. These people were shot in a dedicated mass grave in Camp 2. In August 1942, Viet was appointed inspector of the SS Sonderkommando. And by the way, I should point out that the SS Sonderkommando was the names of the garrisons of the three Action Reinhard camps, Elzech, Sobibor and Treblinka. It did not refer the term Sonderkommando to the SS. It did not refer to the Jews who worked in the death camp area of the camp. Uh, that was only used at Auschwitz. Viet's place was taken by Gottlieb Herring, a former colleague of Viet from the Stuttgart police. During 1942, there was a famous visit by Kurt Gerstein, although Gerstein says that he went to Treblinka the day after he went to Belzec, and he said in Treblinka he saw a gas chamber facility with six chambers. Well, in August 1942, there was only three gas chambers in Treblinka, same as in Belzec. So either the date is wrong or Gerstein went more than once to these camps. Uh, and I think that's a strong possibility. But I just thought I would mention that as a lot of people know about the Gerstein visit. Transports came from Lvov in August 1942, and on one of those transports was a Jewish survivor, a man called Rubin Raider, who after the war published his memoirs uh, about Belzec, the only book written about a survivor from Belzec. There were only a handful of survivors on Belzec, and I'll talk about that later. Uh, but Raider arrived in August 1942, and he worked in the gas chamber area, and his book is a harrowing account uh, of what happened in Belzec. Um, my view, a must-read for anybody about Belzec. Okay. Raider escaped after being sent to Lvov to pack a shield by Fritz Yerman, one of the SS men in Belzec, in November 1942. There was another survivor, a survivor called Heim Hertzmann, who escaped from the train, taking Belzec workers to their death in Sobibor. He was murdered by Polish anti-Semites in March 1946, after giving testimony. The number of survivors from Belzec is very low, probably 10 at the most. Gassing ended in Belzec 
in December 1942. And thereafter, the focus shifted from exhumation and cremation. The bodies were burnt on pyres, known as roasts, using railroad tracks on a concrete base. This work lasted until March to April 1943. The SS men then dismantled the barracks, the gas chambers and the watchtowers. The camp closed officially on May the 8th, 1943. The number of Jews transported there is recorded in a famous Hermann Hoffler telegram decoded by the British Intelligence Service at Bletchley Park. And the number of people transported to Belzec was 434,000. 508. Therefore, given that that report in January 1943 was after the gassings ended in December 1942, this, regard, this figure is regarded as extremely accurate. Uh, some confusion rests whether Jews from Germany who went direct to Belzech should were not included in that figure is open to debate, but but in that case, the figure would be around about four hundred and fifty thousand Jews murdered in Belzech. Now, what I wanted to say was, and I'm going to go back here, is that I want to describe, and I haven't a bit more about the camp structure. I did mention it a little bit, but perhaps I could do a bit more. Oh, no, I did I did mention some of it. But let me let me talk a little bit about Christian Viet. Christian Viet arrived in Belzech just before Christmas 1941 and he was appointed commandant by Globochnik. In the winter of 1941, Viet arranged for the transfer of T4 personnel from Bernberg, and amongst the Bernberg transferees was a man called Eric Fuchs. During the phase, Viet experimented with various gassing, gassing methods, including a gas fan, this was driven by Fuchs. As I said earlier, this was not a success. The construction continued and local Polish tradesmen were used to build the gas chambers and barracks. The SS garrison numbered circa 30 men, supplemented by Travniki volunteers, about 120 in number, who were trained at the Travniki camp near Lublin, uh, and that's why they were known then as Travniki Manor. <clears throat> Most notorious amongst the SS were Gottfried Schwartz, Reinhold Fex. In terms of the Travniki Manor, the most famous of these was a guard called Heinrich Schmidt who disappeared after the war, was never brought to justice. 
Sykes was never brought to justice. Schwartz was killed in action. Ehrman himself was killed by accident in Belzech by an SS man called Heinrich Gley in March 1943. I don't know, I suppose I should say, a bit more about Christian Viet. And I apologise, Harry, that, you know, this is, we've moved about a bit. No Christian Viet was born on November the 24th, 1885, in Oberbautzheim, Württemberg, Germany. He served in the First World War in Flanders and Northern France. He won the Iron Cross, first and second class. After the First World War, he rejoined the Kripo, the criminal police, in Stuttgart. By 1939, he reached the rank of criminal inspector, and he earned a reputation for solving serious crime, including rapes. In the autumn of 1939, Viet was appointed to the T4 euthanasia programme. And the T4 euthanasia programme was the mass murder programme in the Third Reich of uh, mentally ill patients, invalids, uh, and other people that the Nazis classed as undesirable. It was known as T4 because uh, the headquarters were in T4, were, uh, sorry, Tiergartenstrasse 4, Berlin. And that's how it got the name T4. Now, Vias played a leading role in the gassing of mentally ill patients for T4. And most of the personnel in Belzec, Sobibor and Treblinka actually came from T4. So they were, if you like, they were trained in T4 in the mass murder of people. And then they applied the same techniques only on a much larger scale in Action Reinhardt. Can you comment on some of the mass graves in Belzets? Can you share with us where they are located and what is known about them? <laughs> I should have known that you were going to ask me that. Right. I think one of the reasons why gassing stopped in December 1942 is that they actually ran out of space. Now, there were, I think, if I, you always ask me this question and I never really research it properly. There were about 33 mass graves. All of them were, were located in uh, the Camp 2, what was known as Camp 2, which obviously was where the gas chambers, so they, they were near the gas chambers. And there were 33 of them, which were um, excavated in, in nine, between 1997 and 1999 by Professor Andrzej Kohler from the Turin University. Now, what they found within the mass graves were, was... Um, uh, sort of putrefied fat and things like that. And I, it, I've been to, I went to Belzech in, in 2000. And in Belzech, before the museum was built there, when you walked on the ground in certain 
in, in what was Lager 2, you could actually walk on human remains. Wow. But uh, I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure whether Cola actually found. He certainly found traces of mass graves, but I don't think they found any bodies. Wow. Because, of course, the Germ what the Germans did was, when the Germans dismantled Belfetch, they exhumed all the corpses. They burnt them on roasts and then pulverised the bones. So the German, you know, got rid of most of the damning evidence. Uh, I can tell you more about the graves another time, I think. It's not... Okay? Thank you. Can you comment on the plight of Sinti and Roma in Belzets? What stories can you tell us of these victims of Belzets? Right. Well... In terms of the death camp itself, nothing. I am not aware of any transports of Sinti Roma to Belzec. But don't forget, in 1940, there was a gypsy camp in Belzec, a very large gypsy camp. And Jews from uh, gypsies from Germany were shipped there. The conditions were absolutely awful. There was one particular story that I can recall regarding a gypsy woman who was transported from Hamburg to Belzech gypsy camp with her two children. Both of the children were poisoned. She survived. Conditions were absolutely terrible. Um, and when the camp was closed down, or, or before the camp was closed down, she was moved to another camp in Rezhevitz. The two children, unfortunately, died in Belzec. So the gypsies, uh, there, there are remains. There, there's, there's a, uh, a left. There was a, a barrack left from the gypsy camp, and a small graveyard in Belzec which you can still see today, although the barrack was falling down when I saw it in 2004. Whether it's still there or not, I don't know. So, so in terms of Sinti Roma, they are very largely connected with Belzec, but principally with the Gypsy Camp, which you know we know was closed down in October 1940. Okay? Thank you. What are the interconnections between Riziera di San Saba, the Italian camp, and Axion Reinhardt? What are the interconnections between Riziera di San Saba and Belzets? Right. When Axion Reinhardt closed down with the closure of Sobibor in November 1940, a large number of the SS personnel were transferred to the Adriatic coast where Globochnik had moved from Lublin as SS Polizei leader. Uh, he went to the Adriatic coast as higher SS Polizei Führer. And in Trieste, there was a rice mill called uh, San Saba and Viet, and, and Hackenhole and a few others 
took over uh, San Saba and turned it into a, I suppose, a concentration camp, sort of where they collected Jews, but where they also murdered and tortured Jews. And in San Saba, uh, a crematorium was built uh, to dispose of the bodies. And there is some talk that they also used a gas van there. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. So, so San Saba was used as a collecting point for Jews that were then shipped from Trieste to Auschwitz. And that's the connection between San Saba and Action Reinhard. Can you tell us about the various SS units involved in the atrocities in Belzets? How did the roles of SS Traunikim Manor, SS Oberscharfführer, SS Pilizeführer Lemberg, and SS Gruppenführer differ? Okay. What does your book reveal about them? Right. In, ter in terms of the higher echelons of uh, action, Reinhard, uh, at the time Belzec was operating, Klobuchnik uh, was a Gruppenführer, uh, and he would have liaised with Katzman, who, who was the SS uh, uh, police Führer uh, Lemberg. And there were obviously big deportations from Lemberg in the summer of 1942. In terms of the SS men in the lower ranks, they were all SS NCOs, nothing lower than NCOs. Uh, so mainly Hauptsturmführer, uh, uh, upper ranks, Scharführer, and, and then uh, uh, Rottenführer, and uh, basically, the SS men, as I say, were all SS NCOs. The Travniki men, now, they, in charge of the Travniki, there were 120 Travniki men, and in charge of the Travniki men were individual SS men. Okay. Uh, uh, and therefore, the SS men were, if you like, responsible for running commandos, running the gas chambers, looking after the Lazarette where people were killed. Uh, and, the, and the Travniki men, they carried out guard facilities. They guarded the fences. They guarded the Jews um, uh, under the command of the SS. You, your book points out that there were four investigations of Belzets, one in 1945, one in 1946, one in 1961, and one between 1977 and 1999. What were the findings and conclusions of these different investigations? Can you contextualize them for us? Yeah, the, the first investigations um, that were carried out, uh, they interviewed a lot of villagers that had helped build Belzec or that were there during the occupation, and they saw the transports arrive. Uh, and I personally have a, a lot of testimonies relating to that period from the people. That's how we know so much about the gas chambers and how they were built. 
uh, and how the camp operated. Um, the 1961, I don't think there was much involved there. The 1977-99, uh, they were the excavations undertaken by Andrzej Kola. Uh, and Kola produced a book. They found an awful lot of material there. Uh, they found glass destructs. Uh, they found keys, they found uh, enamel, pottery, they found jewellery, uh, they found a, a cigarette case by somebody called Max Monk, who, who obviously died in Belzech. He came from Vienna. So they found an awful lot of things, as well as carrying out um, excavations on the mass graves, they found a garage pit they found a generator pit and they also found things like lamps and stuff like that and there and there is a book on that which is well worth reading by andres kohler i can send you the details thank you what became of belzets after world war ii what became of the town and the site under communist rule um Belzec is a village if I can point that out. Uh, and, I, and I would say that Belzec, by and large, uh, I mean, it was a one-horse town before the war, and it went back to being a one-horse one horse town, or that village, after the war. It was completely and utterly neglected. The site fell into disrepair. I mean, they built... Sorry, I mean, I, I should say... They built a memorial there in 1961 and they fenced the camp off with a low grey wall and they marked the graves with huge concrete-like structures. Now, these were all destroyed uh, in 2003 when the new museum was built. And unfortunately... The powers that be, why they didn't leave the garage foundations and the generator foundations and just build around that, but leave it there because it, it was a sign that something was there, but they covered it completely in, 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 in a slag like uh, material, which you can see today, and built a very fine museum, I might add but I wish they'd left those structures there, okay? Thank you. Last question. Can you comment on the history of Belzets prior to the Second World War? What happened to the town of Belzets during World War I? What was its history during the 1920s and 30s? Can you explain anything you can about Belzets before the onset of the Holocaust? Yeah. Belzec was very much a trading town. It had a very large Jewish population in Belzec. Uh, Belzec is only about 15 miles from the Ukrainian border. So Belzec, like most places in Poland, was made up of Ukrainians, Germans, Poles, Jews. But by and large... 
the vast majority of the population were split between Poles and Jews. Uh, it was a trading town and it built its reputation as a trading town. Uh, parts of it were destroyed during the First World War, um, mainly wooden buildings and things like that. It was occupied by the Russians. Um, and really, it was a bit of a nondescript place. Uh, and it was a nondescript place before, and it was a nondescript place afterwards. The only great claim to fame it has that it had it it had it was the site of the first death camp. One thing I will say, and I should add, is that the death camp itself was purpose built. It was not, whilst there were labour camps there, they were all shut down. The death camp itself was built on a purpose built site 400 metres from the railway station. So it wasn't a conversion of any other structure. It was dedicated, you know, built by itself for itself. Thank you. I appreciate your time and your generosity. Thank you for your detailed answers. I could You're not welcome. be more grateful for your availability and your thoughtfulness. To our listeners, I am your host on the New Books Network, Ari Barbalat. Today I've been in dialogue with Chris Webb, a historian, regarding his new book, The Bells at Steff Camp, History Biographies Remembrance, published in Stuttgart by Ibidem Verlag, 2022. Thank you.